Hello, people. Welcome to episode 51 of the When in Yorkshire podcast. How are you? Uh, for those of you who are joining us for the first time, my name is Lucio, and I hope you are as well as you can be. So, I'm getting back with another episode recorded at Slam Dunk Festival in 2021 in Leeds. It was a busy day. Um, if you've seen who my guest is this week already, or you have a general interest in punk rock and or podcasts, then this man would surely need no introduction but for the sake of everyone else i will still do my best to summarize um, mr matt stocks who is my guest so i first remember seeing matt uh, conducting interviews on scuzz tv way way back um, and then he was one of the voices behind kerrang radio um, both of which were done very well were really informative uh, and entertaining um, however after not hearing anything um, of him for years I started to notice his name crop up on a on a few festival posters where he was DJing, um, and then again also some tours where he was DJing alongside bands as well. Now, it was his podcast, however, that that really captured my attention, um, and that's called Life in the Stocks. I can't remember how I actually came across it, but I remember there being a, a day whilst I was commuting um, and coming back from work and listening to an episode with Frank Turner uh, and then later that evening one with Tom Green and then the next day Jamie Lenman the next day I think Andy Cairns and and then Grant Nicholas of Feeder um, all of these completely captivated me um, and I've been hooked on life on the stocks ever since he has got some amazing guests on there. So if you haven't heard of it or you haven't listened to everything, um, go check it out. It's absolutely outstanding. He, uh, It's not just the guests that he gets, actually. it's it's. I guess it's there are some huge names, but it's the tone and the nature of the conversations that, that really keeps me listening. Now, Matt has got a great ability to get his guests on a level where they seem to feel comfortable covering any topic um, and they might even and have done divulged some really intimate thoughts and feelings to him and as a listener it it feels like a blend of interview and kind of getting to eavesdrop on a private conversation between between friends um, and that ticks all the boxes for me um, he's now got another podcast which is outstanding and um, this is with uh, Killswitch Engage, Engage vocalist Jesse Leach, um, and this is called Stoke the Fire. Now, I, the amount of hours of conversation that there are, if you haven't listened to it, I'm absolutely jealous of you. You've got a whole host of treats coming up. I will say that these episodes focus on the people and their experiences and only really touch on their work. There are a lot of musicians involved due to them both being heavily involved in that in that area. Um, but they they rarely touch on the music. It really is about the people, and it gets pretty deep as a as a warning. Now, links for both of these podcasts are in the description of this episode for you to check out, um, as well as links to Matt's first book, which is called Life in the Stocks: Voracious Conversations with Musicians and Creatives, Volume One. It's absolutely fantastic. There's transcripts from sections of conversations that he've he's had with some. Amazing guests, uh, Andrew WK, Doug Stanhope, just to, to name a few. And as the title suggests, this is volume one of what I understand will be a potential trilogy. Um, so very excited for volume two to come out. Now, in our conversation, whilst Matt is known to be a completely open book, and I was aware that he would answer anything that I asked of him, I, I intentionally kept this conversation light. On the day, it really felt like it was um, a, a milestone in the journey of his life as a, as a DJ in terms of where he was at and where he was DJing. He was DJing on the Punk and Drub Punk and Drublick stage. And uh, as many of you, if, if you know of Matt Stocks, will know that he's a, he's a big, big NoFX fan. And I felt that I'd rather look at the successes that he's had and the excitement that he had and, and the kind of the journey of getting there rather than going into some uh, some of the deep stuff that Matt would have answered. And if you are wanting to hear that, 
please go listen to the Punks in Pubs podcast, which is amazing. Um, and there's a great conversation in there as well. I think that's enough for me. For now, I'll let you listen to episode 51 recorded at Slam Dunk Festival with Matt Stocks. I'm here at Temple Newsom for Slam Dunk with Mr. Matt Stocks. How are you doing, Matt? I'm great, man. Um, yeah, it's early. And it's early to be on a festival site, but I was just talking to my friend and she was like, God, you're going to do a podcast. It's a bit early for that kind of behavior, isn't it? And for me, I often find with my show as well, if I'm doing a chat with someone and I'm either like tired or a bit hungover or even a bit depressed or sad, you might think in your head, oh, I don't really want to do this. But the minute you're in it, it's the most elevating and uplifting experience. So thank you very much for giving me a jump start to my day by being on the show. I'm thrilled. Thank you very much for your for your time. Um, yeah, I think you've kind of jumped straight into uh, one of the key things that I wanted to ask you. Okay. So you are very well known for your podcast, which is awesome, by the way. Um, Thank you. Big fan. I will 100% say I haven't listened to every single one because you've done a fuckload. 230, uh, 235 as we sit here talking now. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd be very surprised if anybody has done all of them. No, not not yet. But I have done so, I have done some and I've done some ones where you've been guests as well, which oh, have wow. also been been fantastic, um, including a single sitting of the uh, Punks in Pubs. You did the two hour blast. I did the two hour blast. Amazing. Sta- started at half five in the morning. It was, <laughs> really? uh, yeah, my kids don't sleep. Um, so. <laughs> I was going to say, you weren't playing it around your kids, were you? <laughs> no, no. Please. Earphone, earphone in the left ear. Yeah, shout out to Liam. That was a really fun podcast. That yeah, one. he's a good dude. Absolutely. Um, and the kind of the podcast um, for me, and I, I, it seems to be for you, is is quite a healing thing to do, and and, and very much a kind of um, a reflective time that you get. No matter who your guest is, you always seem to have quite a, a kind of spiritual connection with with most of the people that you speak to. How kind of how how does that start for you? Well, thank you, first of all, for noticing that and, and that, you know, beautiful compliment, because that is, I mean, healing is the key word for me. Mm. It didn't start out like that. That wasn't my intention, but it very quickly became that, I think, because there's a very loud crow. I hope that's not destroying the sound <laughs> no, too no. much. Um, when I started the show, my personal life was in quite a bit of turmoil, and I'd lost my job writing as a freelancer for the company Team Rock, which mm-hmm. owned Metal Hammer and Classic Rock. And I'd also lost my job DJing in this venue called the Brooklyn Bowl in the O2 in London. And although I was completely freelance and independent, those two outlets were my main source of income. All of it, really. And I was on vacation for Christmas in 2016 with my ex-girlfriend. We went to Cuba. And I was offline the whole time because there's no Wi-Fi there. At least there wasn't then. Just, you know, blissed out, loving this beautiful romantic Getting back to trip. nature. And then we get back home on New Year's Eve and I found out that both those companies had gone bust and I was out of work. So that was my start to 2017, Fuck. January 1st. And January 31st was when I launched Life in the Stocks. And what happened in the preceding months was I fell into a bit of a chasm of alcohol abuse, depression. Mm. My relationship broke down. And so very quickly, these conversations that I was having with the guests almost from the jump were, for me, I guess, first and foremost, without being selfish and hijacking the chats, but that was kind of the driving incentive was the need for human connection, the need to, like we're already, I feel, doing now, sit down with another human being that you might have never met before in your life and and get into stuff that is important um, rather than just how's the album, how's the tour, the general. And there's a place for that, too. And there's definitely podcasts out there that are way more upbeat and fun than mine. There's occasional episodes where it will just be a bit more lighthearted. But for the large part, my show, I hope, does go to those more delicate, sensitive, sometimes heavy areas. And that's important for me to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it seems to be received well, not only by the people who listen to the show, but also by the guests. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as a listener, 100%, I feel that your your podcast immediately goes into that real kind of core of the person and you get a real sense of, of who they are. Um, and I, th- I think that's, it's really interesting for me because I, you know, I love like behind the scenes stuff. I love making of and th- things that, you know, and yeah, any documentary too. series about the, about the inner workings of anything creative, I find absolutely fascinating. And your podcasts, uh, podcasts now, um, mm-hmm. do seem to go right to that kind of core basics of, you know, what is that person about? Um, and I think from that as well, you seem to have sort of spawned quite a lot of friendships through through the connections that you've made. Um, and in fact, 
the first time I kind of had a thought of, yeah, maybe I'll maybe I'll speak to Matt is I was speaking to Monique Powell. Yeah, I remember that on the balcony. Yes. Yeah, um, yeah, the at OT. The Leeds Academy, right, for the yes. Fireball Tour. Correct. I remember that very well. And so I was speaking to her and having a chat and explaining what the podcast was about and stuff. And she was just like, oh, you know what? You should speak to my friend Matt. And and then we had about a 10-minute conversation where she was sort of highlighting what you do and, you know, how, how interesting you would be. And I was just like, yeah, I listen to his podcast. Um, and I yeah. love Monique so much. She's she's such a beautiful soul. Yeah. And, um, yeah, that tour was a really key um, time for me and her and our friendship building and we would share hotel rooms together and have like beauty nights where we'd wear face masks and <laughs> I think stuff i've seen a picture I put of a that video yeah. up recently as well because it was her birthday yes. a few weeks back she's just a beautiful woman um and a such a sweet sweet soul so yeah thank you to yeah. um, monique for s- suggesting but that seems to be a, a, a quite a common theme with the you know the, with the people that you meet you know initially in potentially a you know a professional setting um, for for doing the podcast and then you kind of walk away with a with a deep connection and I think that that seems to be down to the fact that you're quite open and and vulnerable but you create a really safe space and that seems to invite people to to open up which is different to a lot of podcasts. Dude, you're killing me here. I'm getting emotional. <laughs> it's so nice hearing like feedback from someone like yourself that is in it and does it, you know. Um, and and that is exactly the goal is to create that kind of a, an atmosphere where the guest isn't second guessing their answers. You mm. know, often you, when you start an interview with someone, you can see they're a little bit apprehensive, on edge, um, thinking about what they're saying very specifically, and maybe a bit guarded. And my goal is always not in a sit, not in a kind of manipulative way but i want them to drop that guard just so that they can relax and open yeah. up and i do think if you give up some of your secrets too that encourages them to do that and just one thing i want to touch on which you mentioned a moment ago as well in passing was as well as trying to make the conversations deeply personal i also because like yourself i'm a fan of the history of music the lineage and the developments of cultures and subcultures i really want to try and to like musical history and cultural trends too Mm. whether it's old new york stories or old la stories and just try and get a sense not only for the people but the scenes and the places and the times as well that's also like the other equal driving incentive for me because i'm just a massive music and culture fanatic yeah Um, and so i try and walk that tightrope line of like the deeply personal and then also the kind of the cultural investigation as well yeah and that, that that generally comes across um so Going, go, talking about the history then, what I normally start with people on this podcast is your introduction to your kind of your art form or your or how you got into your current position in life. So take it right back. I know that you're big on films and, and music. Um, so start with let's start with films for this one, I think. So what's your I know I've in the podcast that I've listened to, I know you, you kind of watch films with your parents separately um, yeah. and you know, musicals and westerns. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. It. So what, what's your earliest memory then? Which... Well, my earliest filmic memory is seeing The Little Mermaid at the cinema and being terrified of Ursula. And that yeah, instilled in me a fear of the sea that still exists to this day. <laughs> I love water. I love the ocean. I love the beach. But if I was in the middle of the sea. Mm-hmm. I would be very apprehensive about, you know, jumping off the boat and getting in for a swim. Yeah. Even if the water looked very inviting, I'd still be like, what's down there? Um, <laughs> so the Little Mermaid at the cinema. And do you remember the old Dolby sound adverts? Yes. With the helicopter that would fly. And it was so loud. Mm. And I was only about four or five. Panning across. Yeah, and it's just booming. And, like, the seats are rumbling. And I just remember being shook to the core by that. Yeah. Like, the experience. And it's the same with music. Like, I love films and I love albums and I love consuming these things at home alone or, you know, on the bus or whatever it is or the plane but for me these spaces where films and music are publicly displayed for me they're like churches you know these are these are communal spaces where people gather to forget about their you know troubles or their woes or just you know the the monotony of of day-to-day life Mm. and get taken away into this fantasy land and that's really where my interest in music culture art film all of it begins is the escapist value um, yeah. because you know we all need to dream right and and i think you can apply you know you obviously you don't want to think oh i've just seen true romance therefore that's like a, you know an indication of how a partnership could pan out <laughs> but i think it's good to take some of that inspiration that you get from the films and the, you know the albums that you love and apply a little bit of that 
daydream mm. fairy dust to your day-to-day life and reach for the stars and like the reason i'm here today and because uh, a, a moment ago you were sort of touching on the connections that i have with the guests that i get on my show so to circle that back around as well like i've been trying to get on the punk and joblick stage as a dj for the last couple of years yeah since it's been happening at slam dunk because before that it was the fireball stage the desperado stage and i'd always dj that punk and scar stage mm-hmm. and when mike from no effects took it over with the no effects punk and joblick branding i was like well this is perfect for me because they're my favorite band ever i'm going to get to dj with mike but it turns out he hates djs essentially ouch he's like i don't want them on my stage and i get it because a lot of djs out there because everybody's a dj now as well Mm. do give if i can be so bold real djs like myself a bad name because they either play bands that are on the stage like i've seen that happen so many times like less than jake are up next and someone's playing less than jake and you just see the band's face they're livid another thing is they just don't get the genre quite right um they play too fucking loud they get wasted i've done that certainly myself in the past but there's all these things that put people like mike off wanting to work with the Mm. dj but i did a podcast with mike in january um of this year yeah Yeah. i'm trying to remember where we are january of this year and before that i'd done a magazine interview with him for the split album that he did with frank turner which was amazing um and we were just texting a bit and emailing a bit not a lot and i don't claim to be like really close with him but we've certainly developed a little bit of a a connection and so in the lead up to this festival it's only a couple of weeks ago i was like fuck it i feel like (laughs) I can approach him without it being too rude or cheeky. Yeah. And I feel like he might say yes. So I sent him this little email pitch and just said, I know you don't like DJs, but here's what I've done. Here's what I do. Here's why I'm your guy. Could I please have a shot? And he just got back straight away and was like, yeah, you're in. Um, how, how good was it to get that email back? It's the best email of my life. It really was. And I arrived last night to give him um, any no effects fans out there. This is some hardcore geek knowledge, but very often Mike will say, especially if he's playing in LA or America at the end of the show, see you all at Okie Dogs as his kind of like catchphrase tagline at the end because Okie Dogs was this hot dog stand in the 80s, or I guess it was around for a while before that, but it became very popular with the punks in the 80s because it was right out the front of one of the main venues Mm -hmm. that all the punks would go see shows at. So after the gig, they'd all congregate around Okie Dogs, and it became like this (laughs) spot. So Mike's catchphrase is kind of, see all Okie Dogs. So I sourced the internet for about an hour and found this Okie Dogs hoodie (laughs) uh, because the hot dog stand is obviously long gone. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, And went to Mike's hotel room last night to give him this hoodie as a thank you for letting me DJ the stage. And he was like, man, this is such a perfect gift. Thank you so much. And then he goes, now, have you seen my duvet? It's leather. Get under it. You've got to get under it to feel it. So within about two minutes of me being in, who for me is my you know childhood and musical hero, I'm in his fucking hotel room under his leather duvet. And I'm like, this has already gotten a bit weird, hasn't it? Yeah. Like, and he's there in his, you know, his dress and his usual like yeah, S&M yeah. garb. And it was just one of the most beautiful moments of my life because that was the band for me that set me on the course that I'm on when I was 13 and I first discovered them. That was my eureka moment. And then to fast track 20 years and be, you know, close to mm. the main guy is just beautiful, man. It's a real like childhood dream come true. Absolutely. And, you know, what a time for that to happen, you know, from what we've what we've gone through, you know, globally mm-hmm. um and you know you've been very open and honest uh, uh um and candid about kind of your personal journey that you've gone through and you know taking that time off and time to reflect right in the the book which is outstanding um Thank you, yeah so what what a way to kind of round that off and head back to live life i guess yeah it's profound and i was going to wait until this weekend to see anything because i wanted just that you know huge hit Mm. that i knew this weekend will still be but then i ended up interviewing um kk downing from judas priest a few weeks back (laughs) and i was just on this mad priest tip and i was like fuck i'm in birmingham bloodstock's down the road (laughs) priest are playing i know kk isn't in the band anymore but i've just been obsessed with that 80s era watching all the live youtube footage there's like a u.s i think it's u.s festival 83 if any priest fans out there listen to this that is the entire set and there's something like five hundred thousand people in the crowd and it is that's just hit after hit after hit yeah so i went to bloodstock to see priest and then just before slam dunk i played an indoor club show with this band an excellent new band called dead poet society Um, yes they they invited me last minute to open up for them really good band uh everybody in the crowd like knew all the words to all their songs even though they're new Mm. really exciting band so i've done those two but yeah this for me marks 
the return of culture and music and you know connection and socializing and good times and everything that we've lost and you know really missed in the last 18 months and it's been a really trying and testing period everybody's had their own obstacles to overcome and you know difficulties to work out and work through but for me personally i definitely went to like the bottom (laughs) and then have come back up better stronger and, and happier and more content and focused and yeah just healthier yeah than ever before mentally and physically so there's definitely some light at the end of the tunnel now for sure and yeah to be here today with 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 you now is very cheers, cool <laughs> cheers yeah i saw i saw a very interesting i'm not gonna say quote mm. <laughs> meme <laughs> okay <laughs> word with pictures yeah um on the internet about about hitting rock bottom uh-huh. just saying what how it? it saying how the, well, the, I'm going to paraphrase, but the the basis was paraphrasing memes. People, yeah, this is what this we is, come yeah, to. this is where this is where we got to. I'm going to use some emojis in my voice, <laughs> um, and it was about the fact that you know, going down to rock bottom in in a positive way gives you that chance because you've got to the very very core of who you are. Yes, and then you've got a solid foundation to rebuild, and you know that you're building on who you are, and you can then make that kind of statue or tower or mountain and rebuild that in however in whichever way you want to and kind of make it the best version of what it can be and i think that's a really positive way to look at the fact that you know of a a horrendous situation nobody wants to say they've hit rock bottom but you know look at it in a way that you've given you've got a chance here to start with a real solid foundation of what's important to you get rid of all the other stuff and then make you make your life the best that it can and I i think that's yeah it's it's a bad time but it's a, a great way to look at it yeah and i guess the kind of the really concise quote that i think i can't remember who first i mean it's, you know it's just a phrase but at rock bottom is where you find yourself mm, yeah, um, yeah and you know because it's very easy to be happy and on top of the world when everything in life is going great yeah. Do you know what i mean it's very easy to be that way because everything around you is just sweet and you're smelling the roses it's when everything goes wrong that you have to really get to the core of your character that you figure out who you are yeah and i don't think anybody can really truly say they know themselves until they've lost everything that's not to say i would wish that on anyone. no no absolutely but not. having lost everything several times over um whether it's you know my dream job or like you know my love of my life at that time like several things in my life have like set me right back to square one but i've always bounced back better than before yeah um and there's definitely healing power in that process and yeah then i think the best thing to do when you learn those lessons for yourself is just try and impart what you've learned and share it with other people as well absolutely and that's what i try to do yeah um, and you know, in my limited experience is just so here's what i've been through um here's what you know my thoughts on this are if this helps anybody great yeah absolutely and you know and i think as, as we said at the start you you know you're, you're very open and honest about that in your podcasts uh, in in both life and the stocks um and also stoke the fire you know they they both kind of hit those points um and yeah they they can be quite therapeutic to listen to so I'd, i'll put links and everything for anybody who for whatever reason hasn't heard of them um no, put right. links. well here's <laughs> the, the most as we're talking now the most recent episode of stoke the fire was with this vocal coach called melissa cross mm. who uh has you name a metal singer today and she's taught them how to scream without yeah. ruining their voice jesse leach randy blythe toby morse i know he's not metal but he's in the pond uh cory taylor uh everybody and and she is so well respected in the community as this kind of motherhood figure to all these you know vocalists but the chat that me and jesse just had with her got into the whole other side of her life story and it, both me and jesse were in tears at a couple of points in it it's mm. so you know there's quite intense moments she talks about being sexually assaulted in it um she talks about addiction and you know there's there's some dark topics for sure but if you're ready to go there, uh, it's such a positive journey that she takes us on. And it's probably, for me, the most profound podcast I've ever done. And there's been a wow. lot of yeah. really healing ones for me. But that one, you know, I was, like, weeping. Like, I've always, like, welled up sometimes mm-hmm. when we get deep. But this was, like, just, I couldn't even talk <laughs> one, but it was just having to look away and weep. It's a beautiful right. chat. So if that sounds like your kind of thing, if you want a good cry to a podcast, then, yeah, the Melissa Cross episode of Stoke the Fire, which is episode 26 uh, is a, a good place to start. That's, that's flown by as well. I'll come on to that in in a bit. But um, yeah, I think that's I think that's 
really interesting in terms of your kind of early memories of film going back to that. So how did that kind of develop into, you know, you've, you've, You've watched Little Mermaid. <laughs> you've got a fear of the sea. Yeah, um, and you're on Kerrang Radio. Yeah, and you know you absolutely <laughs> love love obviously the musical element of it. And I guess was that a that's well that's not a western, so it's not one with your with your dad. But it was a yeah. You, was that sparking your love of musicals? Yeah, I, I just adore musicals. Musicals are the ultimate form of fantasy escapism, right? Because nobody in life bursts into song on the street. Yeah, you know, unless they're maybe a little bit unhinged. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, yeah, I just love the absolute hyper-reality of musicals because they take day-to-day situations, but they inject this dream-like escapism into Mm. them. Wizard of Oz was a huge one for me. Huge one. And actually, I interviewed Stone Gossard from Pearl Jam once, and I was asking him, I was like, what was the deal with Seattle? You know, so many era-defining bands came out of that place at that time. What was going on? And he said one of the best answers to any question I've ever heard. He was like, well, the thing is, Matt, is like we, we spent time touring and going around the place and you know, visiting other parts of the country. But like, very much like Wizard of Oz, we realized that there's no place like home, which didn't mm. really answer my question, but it was just very poetic. <laughs> that and is nice. beautiful. And yeah. I was like, yeah, man, there's no place like home. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, the Wizard of just everything about that movie, you know, there's real darkness in it. And you know, there's some pretty scary moments too. Mm. If you're a kid. Oh God, yeah. You know, there's like death. Oh, that's how it opens. Like, bang! You've just landed yeah. your house on a person. They're dead, and then now their <laughs> sister wants to kill you. Wow! But the characters she <laughs> meets along shoes. the way, the journey they all go on, the friendships they make, um, and just the black and white to Technicolor mm. aspect of it. Beautiful, beautiful film, and amazing songs. And somewhere over the rainbow, man. Yeah. That oh tune God, kills me still. It is, and you know that's. I think for anybody that first hears that song that has a love of any form of music, it it has a connection. It's nuts, isn't it? No offense to deaf people, but you're probably not listening to a podcast, so we're good. There's a braille version. Um, There you go. You give me an idea for something that's never been done before. Yeah. (laughs) So, in in terms of music, then, yes. What's your What's your earliest music memory, other than outside of the world of musicals? Probably Jimi Hendrix. Nice. Yeah, because my dad used to listen to... My dad only used to listen to Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, Jimi Hendrix and The Doors. That was it. Um, That's a solid foundation to grow up with, solid. I mean, very solid four. Very solid four. And I just hated jazz, still do. I just can't can't get on with it. I don't mind, like, the cool kind of, like, easy listening stuff to a point. Mm -hmm. But when it's all frantic and, you know, all over the place, just I find it stress-inducing. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's emotive, saying it'll go one way or another. You'll (laughs) either zen into it. Yeah, you'll zen into it or it'll just absolutely blow your mind. And and there's no lyrics and there's Mm. no melody. And that, for me, is like, that's my connection to all music. Because I'm not a musician. I don't know notes. Mm -hmm. I don't know chords. So I can't really hear. I can know that I like the sound, but I can't explain what's going on in a technical way. Mm-hmm. For me, it's all about the melody and the lyrics, especially. Um, and yeah, Jimi Hendrix was probably a combination of Wayne's World, Foxy Lady, and then just you know hearing it in the car. I was like, this is fucking cool. Yeah, and it just sounded so fun, you know. And I guess part of that is the Garth dance that instilled that <laughs> sense of fun in me, and and just the rebellious nature of rock and roll. Like I think anybody who likes rock and roll, you get into it when you're young, when you're looking for something to rebel against whether it's something serious or something you know kind of more frivolous it's mm. more just about finding your identity isn't it as you're growing into like a young adult and rock and roll is the perfect outlet for that because if you're paying attention to what they're saying they're sort of encouraging you to question the status quo yeah at least the ones that matter are um and that always from a very early age and i don't really know why i think maybe it was just like i felt like th- it was a rigged game from early on and that we should question the order of things um, and, and and everything, really, like people's motives and, yeah. you know, and like act with integrity and authenticity and, and all of the good side of, of my character. There's plenty of flaws, but I think a lot of the good stuff does come from like the music that I listen to and, and the films that I watch and the messages in these artists work. I'm just a sucker for like living your life by the example that the people that you look up to set. Yeah. Okay. So you kind of absorb, absorb the art and the, I guess, the culture around you. Take mm-hmm. what you want from it and kind of understand it. I think the yeah the, the questioning things and challenging things. I think that's, I think it's a really important message for people, even if it's something you, 
even if it's to just get clarification, you know, if it's something that you think, I'm not sure if I'm on board with that. When if you question it, you might then go, "Oh fuck yeah, no, I am. No, I, I completely misunderstood that." Yeah. So I think it's always, you know, it doesn't always have to be a negative and you know challenging something to say, "No, you're fucking wrong." Let's this have those the, conversations. This is the world we're in now, where people think it's somehow a defect to challenge hmm. an opinion, and let's be real, you don't have to agree with your best friend's opinion on everything to be their best friend. Hmm. And I think we're in this world now where people go, oh my God, this person voted for this, so I've deleted them from Facebook. I'll never talk to them again. And it, it never used to be like that. You know, it never used to be like something you'd have to hide who you voted for for risk of like alienating yourself from your peer group mm-hmm. or family members. Like people should talk openly about politics and about, you know, social issues and, and racial issues and gender yeah. issues. We should talk about these things openly and have discourse and dialogue so we can learn things from each other and not just go, you think something different to me, so I'm off. Yeah, you know, because absolutely. Then it, just, then it creates more divide. And yeah. I know that's kind of like a leap, but that's always been important to me is like, as you said at the start of this, nothing is off the table. Like, yeah. Anything can be discussed, and that's what I try and do with every podcast that I do. And I just had Ben Weasel on the show recently, um, and he is obviously kind of notorious now for an incident that happened in South by Southwest in about 2011 where he punched a woman on stage. And so after that, he was kind of one of the first people to get cancelled before yeah. cancel culture was like a common term. And I was looking at like podcasts and, and YouTube interviews and I could barely find any interviews with him and certainly mm-hmm. none where he talks about that incident. And I was like, why is nobody asking for his take on this? Everybody's just gone, this guy's scum, he hit a woman, he's out. Mm. And I was like, well, I'm going to get him on the show and ask him, like, what happened and why he did it and what went on. And it was a profoundly interesting and engaging conversation all about cancel culture and, and like, politics and and racial issues and all these things that I just said. And he's a super smart, Mm. intelligent human being, incredibly articulate, got some really interesting views, a lot of them I agreed with. Um, and then when it came to the, the incident with the woman, what had happened was it was basically this kind of redneck bar in Texas um, that they'd agreed to play. And he said as soon as he got there, he was like, I wish I hadn't fucking agreed to do this show, but fans have paid, so I'm going to yeah. do it anyway. He said there's no security. And this woman who owned the bar was throwing ice at him during his set and hitting him in the face. And he was like, somebody in this fucking audience needs to hit this woman because I can't because she's a woman kind of thing. And then she like she rushed the stage and attacked him. So he hit her and then somebody attacked him from behind. who was actually this bar owner's friend who's like just a drunk customer. Yeah. And he didn't know she was a woman turned around and kind of hit her. And he was like, do I? He didn't even say he regretted it. He was just he <laughs> said he, he said it was the heat of the moment. Yeah. And here's the thing that I sympathize with because I play on stages and these are there. They can be hostile and unpredictable yeah. environments. Mm-hmm. Right. And especially if there's no security, there's no barrier, it's kind of you're fending for yourself. And sometimes as human beings, we just go into defense mode, you know, and and you react before you think. And I don't think anybody who's not been on a stage or in these kind of unpredictable environments can judge too severely because until you're in that situation yourself, you don't Mm. know what you do. Um, But I encourage anybody to check that out because he's a very hated dude. Yeah. Um, But he, for me, you know, and I don't agree with what he did, and I'll say that, and I certainly have never done that and would never do that. But a lot of what he had to say about the broader cultural issues that are going on right now were bang on the money. Yeah. Um, And it's just interesting to hear his side of the story, even if you still hate the guy. And that's the thing is, like, give the guy the chance to tell his side of the story, and, and then you can make up your mind rather than just reading one article you know, from someone that was there maybe yeah. half paying attention, and that's their one view. Because, again, like, alternative viewpoints, and this is the thing, alternative culture should be an alternative viewpoint to the mainstream. Yeah, no matter what, what that mainstream is. Yeah, and yeah. so to do that, you need to step to the side and look at it from a different angle. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I don't condone his actions regardless of kind of what, what, was, the, what was the forerunner up to it. But, like you say, you don't know what you would do in that particular situation. You know, I'm sure... Especially if someone's physically provoking yeah, you. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sure everybody... And the, here's the, the one other thing as well, which I just remember that he said, which I do kind of agree with, is he was like, back in the 80s and the punk scene he came up in, women were considered equal to men. And this mm-hmm. is the cool thing about punk, is like, you know, queer people were accepted. Women were accepted and treated equally. Veganism and these things like these topics, which are now, you know, quite mainstream, all began in the underground punk yeah. scene um, as alternative viewpoints. And he said, look, back in the day, you wouldn't think twice about hitting a woman at a punk show because she'd hit you right back. And he's like, if you want to be treated equally, 
you know, because he's he's the thing. He's like, if a guy did it and I hit him, that's okay. And so his view, which again, you can take what you want from this, but he said, so if you do look at men and women the same, then your reaction to that person in that incident should be the same. And I was kind of like, huh. I'm not going to agree or disagree with that, yeah. but that's a very interesting point. It, it is, yeah. I think I'd, I'd probably more just disagree with the violence, but yes. if, yeah, that's, yeah, if that's, that's the that's environment that you're that's, in. <laughs> and he did say that. He was like, look, I regret losing my temper. Yeah. Anyway, listen to yes. the episode. It's all Absolutely. In yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm going to. Sounds, sounds great. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you've, uh, with regards to the, the punk, obviously that was a, a big kind of step for you and it put you into this world of which we're now in today. Yeah, that was and is everything to me still. And, and that's why I love Mike to sidestep to him is like he's he's another person who gets a hard time uh, he's considered quote unquote i'm doing the little signs problematic because mm-hmm. of what he said in vegas and a few other things but for me he's one of the most authentic sincere genuine people i've ever encountered he's been nothing but courteous and amazing to me yeah and that's all i can judge him on uh and he lives his life by example you know like some people walk the walk so so some people talk the talk but mm. they don't walk the walk mike lives it he's the real yeah. deal i go to his hotel room he's there in a dress leather duvet <laughs> like he ain't faking it and i love people like that like just be authentic you know be true to yourself be real yeah absolutely and and, and you've said it on on podcasts before about how you know no effects are in essence kind of the the ultimate punk band that have never sold out they've they're diy they've done it everything they've done themselves and yeah, you know, Fat Wreck and such has got such a, a great name and he's considered to be, you know, if you sign to Fat Wreck for a punk band, it, that could be considered to be selling out. But it's their fucking label. And it's you know, they've done what? Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's nuts, isn't it? But um, yeah. And, and the thing is, like, everything they do is creative and interesting. If you look at yeah. the effects, the book was incredible. The Backstage Passport documentary series, incredible. The music he's written, incredible. I can't tell you what they're doing next, but I can tell you that's never been done before. (laughs) Their last album they put out, they're 40 years into their career, 15 albums in, and it's great. How many other bands of any genre can say they've got four decades behind them and they're still making relevant and interesting work today? Not many, if any. Um, you know, and curating a festival, not in the punk world, curating <laughs> festivals, like everything he does is original, and he's out to make money, and he's open about that. But he shares the profits with the people that he brings yeah. along with him, and he's doing it on his own terms. And for me, selling out isn't making money. Like selling out is compromising your beliefs to make money. Absolutely, if you can stay true to yourself and make a shit ton of money. That's winning. Is what yeah. that is. No, I, I, and I'll, I'll go with that a hundred percent, hundred percent. And so, you, what was your introduction to punk then? The aforementioned no effects, and I talk about it all the time. I feel like anybody who's heard me as guests on yeah. on shows will go, "Here he goes again." But yeah, no effects were the fucking light bulb moment that set me off, and I never looked back. And it was the live record I heard they yes. set live because it had everything. The songs were there, but it was also the like the pratter between the songs. I couldn't believe some of the stuff they were saying. You know, like <laughs> they're berating their own audience. They're openly saying their shit. They're talking about drugs openly. Um, they're having fun, which you don't usually hear bands do. And you mm. can look at any band on this festival today, and and they're having a moderate, <laughs> you know, moderate level of fun. But no effects are having more fun than the audience. <laughs> yes, and yeah, they're the only band true. that have more fun than their audience, <laughs> and that's a real skill. Yeah. And Michael says he's like, I'm out to please me, and if you like that, great. But if you don't, I don't care. Yeah. And again, that what a great fucking attitude. Yeah, he's not out to make friends. He's no, just yeah, yeah, he's out to piss people off and make people think. <laughs> But be real. And, like, what's interesting is I think fans, when they get really obsessive over bands, because bands, yeah, unless you're Motorhead, ACDC, or the Ramones, you need to progress to enjoy longevity. You need to change your style. You need to switch it up. And most fans of bands they love, when they switch their style, they turn on them. Yeah, yeah. As if they're somehow, like, the boss of the band. Like, no. Oh, man, I've done it. Do you know? And we've it. all done it, but if you're still doing it when you're like in your 30s, maybe yeah. it's time to reconsider your relationship to music. But we've all done it when we're kids and we're young, right? We feel yeah. betrayed by this change in direction. But, you know, ultimately, artists can do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. And if you don't like it, there's still those albums that you do yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, they're not deleting their back catalogue. And that's... you can't tell other people how to spend their time creatively. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've always loved about punk is that kind of idea of like do it yourself. If you don't like it, do it yourself. Absolutely. And that's what I, that's why I started my podcast is I'd kind of fallen out of love with working for companies. You know, every company I'd worked for had gone out of business. Scuzz TV, Metal Hammer, Kerrang Radio, all these, I mean, Metal Hammer and Kerrang Radio still exist, but in different formats. Yeah. And, um, 
I got to the point where I was like, I'm tired of having the rug pulled from underneath me every couple of years through no fault of my own. So I'm going to go out alone. It's going to be a long, hard road. And it still is, man. Like, I'm 35 years old, and I'm living with my dad right now because I can't afford to pay rent. Hmm. Um, and a big part of that has been COVID, um, and things are getting back on track now. But it's like, it hasn't been easy, and it still isn't. Like, you know, I'm not killing it in the way that yeah. you might think because of some of the guests that I get on or whatever. Like, it's still a, a hustle. Um, but what else am I going to do? I'm not going to get a job. I yeah. love this too much. Yeah, and then you know, <laughs> you know, you're sticking to what you want to do. Yeah, that's you know, and I think that's massively to a fault almost. <laughs> well, man, you're you're about to go and fucking DJ the punk and drum league stage. Yes, I think I am. Uh, it's, a, yeah, man, it's, it's a nice fucking time. Um, <laughs> so, in in terms of your in in your book, you and and in the podcast, you you mentioned how you kind of learn a little bit from from your guests. Yeah, um, there's some great great bits with you know with like alice cooper um you spoke about you know paul mccartney you spoke about you know the reputation of paul mccartney with 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 alice cooper how how do you kind of what what do you take from huge stars like that because that's you know alice cooper for me was the first record a vinyl i ever bought right i bought Which alice one? cooper hey stupid yeah 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 i was eight years old um, uh, and yeah, I bought the vinyl. And looking back on it now, you know it's poppy as hell. It's mm-hmm. catchy as hell. The cut, the the front cover is basically a cartoon, yeah. isn't it? It's the skull with all of the kind of neon. And he's the full package. Awesome. Alice Cooper yeah. is everything: the look, the sound. He's probably he's, the biggest star in rock and roll. Like you can go to your gran, and yeah. she knows Alice Cooper. Like most, if you go to like most normal people on the street that clearly aren't yeah. interested in rock or metal or punk or anything and you go like who's Dave Grohl or who's Gene Simmons they'll be like hey mm-hmm. if you go who's Alice Cooper they'll like, oh yeah, yeah I know well, Alice Cooper well, he's I'm, bigger than music he's yeah. like he's like one of those people like a Marilyn Monroe or an Elvis Presley he's like a pop cultural yeah. icon there's that great quote of him he, him talking about meeting meeting Elvis and Elvis saying hey you're the cat with the snake. Yeah. So fuck yeah. And he, he I want to be described book, like that. Actually, it's not the best book because he, he he likens his addiction um, to like the in the twelve step program to golfing. It's a really weird book, and it's, oh, it's a lot about golf. golf he? Yeah. And it's a bit like oh god. But he has some of the best stories about meeting like Frank Sinatra and how he used to call him Coop, um, and like hanging out with the Marx Brothers. Uh, and Salvador Dali, like he was around at a time when all these great stars who are now sadly no longer with us were still, you know, looming large in in the world. And and he got to know all of them. He's got some of the best stories Mm. ever. He was the the first person I ever interviewed face to face. Um, Oh, wow. I'd been on Kerrang! a matter of like months, about two months. And it was a Halloween um, Night of Fear tour that he was doing, I think 2010. And um, I went to the Camden Roundhouse. I hadn't slept because I'd been in Bristol the night before at this Halloween party. I was dressed as a cowboy still from the party. <laughs> and I rock up. And he was just the most lovely, generous, open, warm, beautiful man. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really set like the benchmark for me of how you, know, you should treat people because he's the biggest fucking star in the world. And he yeah. treated me so well. And I was like blown away by it, and it was it was such you know it was obviously nerve wracking as hell because he's like the big as I said the biggest star yeah. in rock and roll, and that's my first face to face interview on No Sleep dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> but because he was so cool, that was a really important moment in my development because I kind of don't suffer fools mm. anymore and haven't for a while. And so if and you might have had this if I'm interviewing someone and they don't want to be there. Then I'm like, cool. Let's cut this now. Yeah, I don't need to be here either. And if you don't want to be here, that's then there's nothing to gain. You're not going to come across well. And I've done it with a couple of interviews that I've either cut short or just haven't broadcast, is because I just thought, nah, this this doesn't yeah. reach the standard that I want. And and fuck that person honestly for their attitude. Like, and walking up. And I know like I haven't done anywhere near as many interviews as some of these artists who have to travel around the world and talk about the same stuff yeah. over and over. And I get it. It can be a grind and a chore. But that's the life you chose. And don't complain about it. Fucking pull up your bootstraps and crack on. They don't have to do press. You You don't have to. No effects didn't do press for like eight years. I know. When I first got onto the Kerrang! Radio, they just weren't doing press. And I couldn't. I tried for years and years and years to get me. It only took like 2021 was when I finally got to interview. Um, So, yeah, if you don't want to do it, just don't do it. If you don't want to be there, like it's, yeah, it's not the way to go about your business. If Alice Cooper can show up. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Joe fucking coming up band can show up yeah and that, that's it I, I, you know i've had some so many great chats yeah you know 
not, I mean, they're not coming up, but they're not the biggest band. Like, one of the first podcasts that I recorded was with Sonic Boom 6. Dear um, friends of mine. Yeah, and and they were just absolutely awesome. Yeah. You know, we, we tried to record in three different locations. Yeah, we kept it. getting kicked out of different, like, hallways and stuff. And, and, and they, you know, we're in a tiny venue, so there wasn't a huge backstage area or anything like that. And then, you know, we ended up going back to their hotel room and, you know, we chatting and going through you know talking about the the difficulties of you know growing up in in uh, in manchester as part of the you know the the crossover genre that they were helping create yeah um you know and layla's there putting her makeup on and stuff but you know she's she made that time which was just you know and they didn't have to do that and yeah if somebody doesn't want to do press fucking just say no Mm -hmm. you don't have to do it yeah they're they're really really beautiful souls those guys like i was at uh, layla and nick's wedding and I consider them some of my dearest friends in the world. Yeah, shout out Sonic Boom Six. Love you guys. Ab- yeah, absolutely lovely. People. And you know, not not far from not far from here. So one thing I do want to mention, seeing as we are when in Lancashire, are, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, we did have a, a brief thing where you know they, they'd crossed over the Pennines. <laughs> they're, they're in the land of the white roses. <laughs> but yeah, you're so you're. Your first time seeing No Effects was actually in our, in our glorious county. It was at Leeds. Leeds. Festival, yeah, I was there. How did you know that deep knowledge. I was there as well. I, I do have a vague memory of the crowd singing, singing the bruise. No and way. yeah, yeah, man, that was that was a that was a fucking yeah. I hadn't even thought about that. And here we are in Leeds, twenty yeah. years. If this was next year, it would be exactly twenty years. It was two thousand and two. Yeah, I'll tell the story for anybody who hasn't. Where did you hear that then? On. It will have been on one of your podcasts. I'm impressed that you know that story. So, yeah, my first festival was Leeds 2002. No effects of playing. And I was just, you know, beyond stoked. 16 years old, just got my GCSE results. First festival, let's go. And I was right down the front, and I just started singing, Friday night will be, and started like this chant of the bruise, and everybody joined in, and it became this huge song. And then they came out and opened with the bruise. And I was nice. like, fuck, I made that happen. <laughs> yeah. And then I was also like, how cool of a band that just comes out and wings the set. Yeah. And that's kind of the first time I'd realized that as well. Bowling for Soup also do that. They never have a set list. They just roll really? out. Yeah, they just roll out. <laughs> I was chatting to uh, Jarrett before download one year. And I was like, what's, what's the set list looking like? He's like, oh, we, we never use a set list. I was like, <laughs> even for a big old show like download. He's like, no, no, we just get out there and fucking do it. See what um, the crowd wants. See what and, feels right. And they're very Love much it. in that same vein. Not musically, but, you know, they're kind of their show. Is, mm. is very funny in the same way that no effects is very free very loose yeah and um yeah man that's well, what, what a nice link for, as well uh, leads 2002 that was another game-changing moment don't yeah. do drugs kids <laughs> but yeah 19 years later here we are back in leeds sharing the stage with them it's pretty a pretty incredible life can be a trip yeah if you want it to be Absolutely, and that, yeah, that's that's. I love the fact that yeah, you're coming back, you're getting to share the stage with them. Absolutely Thank awesome. You for reminding me of that, and uh, you're welcome. And uh, and yeah, nice little link with with regards to the bowling for soup that you will be DJing with them next year, April. That's called a segue, ladies and gentlemen. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I wanted to go on tour with bowling for soup for a long time. I've been asking their agent for a, a long time, and um, the the recent podcast that I did with Jarrett, which is up on Life in the Stocks, is really, really good. I recommend that one. Um, that got pretty emotional as well. Jarrett was crying in that. Mm. And yeah, we spoke a lot about the journey he's been on with his mental health. And he's a dear friend of mine, Jarrett. He was one of the first people to actively align himself with me and support me in my career. He used to do a little section on my show every week called Jarrett's Jams. Where yeah, yeah. Talk about a new band or song that he was enjoying. Um, and yeah, he's been a dear friend for a decade now. And we, we got to the end of the podcast and he was like, look, if you want to come out on tour with me, just say the word. And I was kind of like, you know, touched that mm. he would say that. Um, and then we got off the chat and stuff and then he immediately texted me and was like, I'm going to chat to Ed now and we're going to make this happen. And sure enough, man of his word, within like 24 hours, I was added to the bill. And That's awesome. Beautiful man right there. That's the sign of, you know, how, again, you can really conduct yourself with integrity and generosity. And yeah. He didn't need to do that. So, um, yeah, next April, it's the Crowd Surf the UK yes. Tour. It was going to be the Surf the UK Tour. Obviously got pushed back because of COVID. So we're going to be doing a bunch of seaside towns. Scarborough, you're coming back to Yorkshire. Scarborough, Grimsby, um, Margate. 
there's there's a bunch. I can't remember off the top of my head. And then they've also added Glasgow, Birmingham, and London, which yeah. obviously are nowhere near the ocean. <clears throat> so now it's called the Crowd Surf the UK yeah. tour, and it's the Dolly Rots, Lit, Bowling for Soup, and myself DJing. That's a, that's a awesome. That's an awesome lineup. I'm I'm massively excited. Hopefully, I'd, I'd love to chat to everybody on that bill. Um, yeah, you let so me know yeah, if yeah. you want to chat to to Jarrett. Yeah, man, we'll make that happen. I absolutely love it. This I spoke to the Lounge Kittens. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. A, a couple of years ago, another, another uh, you know group of, of dear friends. Yeah, and you know they they had nothing but great stuff to say about Jarrett and you know and his whole crew, and they just sort of said you know Jarrett sets the tone for the tours, and you know the crew follow that, and yeah. you know everybody is hospitable, everybody's massively just welcoming, and everybody will help everyone. It's a community, and that, that's awesome. And um, they have their own bar on stage. Yes, which only yes. two bands that I know of do. Zebrahead, again, who are great friends of mine. Yeah. I've toured with them a couple of times. I'm looking forward to seeing them today. Yeah, Zebrahead and Bowling for Soup are the only two bands that I know of. I think the Gimmies might have used to have done it, but yeah, they have an active bar on stage with a guy just mixing drinks nice. for the musicians and any, you know, spectators that want to get involved too. So I will definitely be at the Zebrahead bar yeah. today in my Pee Wee Herman costume. Awesome, which is what I brought to wear. Um, I always <laughs> like to dress up for shows because I feel like it's the theatre going back to that kind of escapist yeah. thing and yeah. um, you know if you're a DJ and you're just there in your kind of jeans and t-shirt all I'm doing is pressing play on other people's songs and so I want to make it a little bit visually interesting as well as playing good music mm-hmm. um, and so yeah I've done Tony Clifton in the past I did It one year I did the um, Georgie the little boy for the first few sets and then for the last set I came out as the clown ouch it was, yeah it was, amazing. Oh, it was around Halloween one year I'm not one sure I could take tour. that and I'd be Georgie with the balloon and the yellow anorak and everybody would love it. Be like, oh, cause the movie had just come out. And then I'd come out as the fucking clown for the last one. And you, j- I'd Pennywise. see people in the crowd <laughs> spot it because I'd, I'd always make sure they put me at the back of the stage yeah. for that one. So I just, it, you know, I wouldn't stand out, but they might just <laughs> see it in the shadows and be like, oh. Um, so that was good fucking with people doing that. And um, I think I'm going to just do the Bowling for Soup tour maybe as like a kind of a, like a seafaring captain. Yeah. Or just my kind of classic Hawaiian kind of Hunter S. Thompson vibe. Um, but yeah, dressing up's fun, man. It's the theater after all. Absolutely. And you know, that's, you know, that's why I think, I think you're going to be, you're perfect fit for the Punkin' Drublick stage. And it it makes complete sense to me as, you know, as a, an audience member, keep the party going between the bands. You know, you have so, there's, so many instances where you're at massive festivals and between the bands there's 20 25 minutes or delays you can well, you know, just gigs just, as well not just festivals yeah true gigs like you know that's a big chunk of time isn't it and sometimes it's like half an hour yeah and if there's no music or the music's just not in line with what's happening or it's just really quiet kills the vibe it, it just sucks it out of the room and and as a headline act you want that room like the best example is i went on tour with steel panther and it was their Sunset Strip tour, so they were doing all the 80s covers yeah. um, as well as their own stuff. And the Bohemian Rhapsody movie had just come out, so that's kind of in everyone's consciousness. Yeah. So I did that tour dressed as Wayne. I had a black wig, Wayne's World cap. Um, you might see a lot of photos with me in the Wayne's World cap, and that's from that tour. I had, like, you know, the ripped blue jeans, a black T-shirt, the little laminate round, like Excellent. the full deal. And um, I'd, I would finish every set with... Bohemian Rhapsody, obviously because of the Wayne yeah. Rock connection, that movie just being out, and honestly the sing-alongs every night to that song. And I heard Michael Starr off stage talking into like the roadies ear. He was like saying something, and he was like, "Matt Starks is fucking killing it, dude!" <laughs> and he was so excited because they knew the second they came out, the crowd is ready to yeah, explode. Absolutely. Whereas if they're there, like, just you know, I'm killing time here, gonna go have a cigarette. Like, you know, it takes the band a few songs to then. I think live in that audience yeah, back up. Absolutely. Again, unless you're like an absolute, you know, crushing live act and the first song back just like boom. I think it does take a couple for the audience to get into it too. But if you're dropping huge sing along like big party tunes that are relevant between, for that crowd that are as well. To the That's... audience and yeah, the lineup. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I mean I've got a memory of download um and or I can't tell you any song that was played in between at all. I can't. Well, because I can't. they used they used to have a DJ years ago, but now they just have adverts. Oh man! All I can tell you from that is that Anvil, the story of Anvil, is coming out, and Enter Shikari have a new album. Yeah. Which I'll be honest, it put me off wanting to listen to that Enter Shikari <laughs> album because <laughs> for the it's full sucking the vibe weekend, out of the field. For yeah, the full shout out Shikari, love those guys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, um, yeah, man. The festivals <laughs> need to get their heads around this idea that DJs between bands makes the experience better for everybody 
Yeah. Um, and as an audience member, I'm 100% behind that. Definitely. And if you need one, <laughs> give me a call. <laughs> Put your email link in the, <laughs> in the description. Get at me. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're coming up to our time, and I'm going to let you go and warm up and get ready for, for whatever you need dude, to do, man. This, is, this has been my warm-up. This, this is, is um, it. It's been an absolute pleasure, Matt. Um, nothing short of what I expected. Thank you very much for, for talking about anything that I've thrown at you. Um, it's been a pleasure. Welcome back to Leeds with your, your full circle with no effects. Um, and yeah, I hope you have an awesome day. And tomorrow as well. You've got tomorrow down, down south, Hatfield, and then closing it as well. I'll be real, and I'm not just saying this because I'm in Leeds on the When in Yorkshire podcast. The Leeds dates of Slam Dunk are always infinitely better. Ouch. Because the, Northerners, Northerners are more fun. And there's more industry people at the Hatfield one, and industry people are less fun. Leeds is always the best of the two, and that's true of Reading and Leeds Festival as well. And I'm not just saying that to kiss ass up here. Leeds is always the one. And I guess it's it's my first festival. It's the soft spot. Um, Yeah, dude, thank you so much, not just for having me, but for clearly taking the time. Stalking you for two years to uh, get you on the podcast. It means a lot, man. (laughs) It means, like, I've done a few podcasts over the last six months because of the book coming out. And what I've found with every single one that I've done is everybody who's doing a similar thing is on the same page and i feel so much kinship um and common interests and goals with people like yourself much more than i do so with journalists and presenters and you know a lot of other people in the industry that i've been around for the last 10 years or so but there's so much ego and competition and jealousy within those fields and i just don't have a lot of friends within the kind of journalistic presenting world i'm sure i'm not going to gain any more by saying this but (laughs) i've just found that generally if you host a podcast it's a labor of love and you're doing it because you care and i always love being on other people's shows Mm. because it just feels like i'm connecting with like-minded people um so i've really enjoyed this yeah no man and the beautiful questions I don't um I don't have a Patreon, I don't do this for money, so if you do enjoy this, um feel free to go and join Matt's Patreon. I'll put a link to that oh. as well. Um and then there's also the whole beautiful network for um for Stoke the Fire, which just that that's an outstanding podcast as well with Jesse Leach of, of Killswitch and some of the insane guests including the listeners that you've had on there. Yeah. Absolutely awesome community that you're building and I'm very excited for what better happen the the live tour on a beach with a fire that better happen at some point in the future i mean uk is going to be tricky with the weather but it won't be a beach but what it will be is we're i've already sort of started thinking about this um we want to do campsites i just find campsites that we can hire a big space to pitch a bunch make it super exclusive you know only like a hundred tickets at the most and have like some nice chefs making some like you know cool food that we can have on as guests as well a couple of like musicians and entertainers and performers and then just have round the campfire late night discussions sing-alongs yeah cookouts that's very much the long-term goal with that show and that show's changed my life more than anything i've ever done i love life in the stocks and that's been the springboard for for everything that's good in my life but stoke the fire has really elevated my soul in a whole new and and, and profound way that has changed me to the core and every episode we do is like a game-changing moment in my life and mm. it just continues to impress and inspire me um the, the the love for that show and it's still only you know kind of a small seed at the moment but yeah man it's 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 growing and it's it's a beautiful thing and uh yeah i love jesse very dearly so it's amazing to be on this journey with him um so yeah stoke the fire life in the stocks i'm on social media as matt stocks dj and uh buy my book please absolutely thoroughly thoroughly recommend it got it for my birthday i think um and yeah thoroughly enjoyed reading it absolutely awesome um and book two will be out in march next year it's uh it's in the process of being written at the moment i'm going to be finishing with it at the end of september and then yeah it'll be out my birthday week in march 2022 life in the stocks volume two um and in that one is going to be like tommy lee tom morello tom morello gene simmons uh walter schreifels vinnie stigma there's loads of great guests in book two. Or already excited. <laughs> Genuinely. Amazing. Absolutely awesome. Thank you very much, Matt. Have an awesome time. Thank and, you, uh, dude. Cheers, buddy. Great. Cheers, man. There it is. Episode 51 with Matt Stocks. 
that was a great way to start the day of recordings at Slam Dunk Festival. Um, and I'm very, very grateful that Matt gave his time to have that chat. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. And please, if you haven't already, go and check out Life in the Stocks um, and Stoke the Fire podcasts. And also check out his book, Life in the Stocks, Voracious Conversations with Musicians and Creatives, Volume 1. Um, it's a great read, even if you've listened to the episodes as well, because it chops and changes and covers different topics off um, and has little bits of information from different guests. Um, so it's a, it's a great way to take in that information. Um, Matt is also going on tour again um, next year. He's going on tour with Bowling for Soup. That will be fantastic. Check out the dates for that. Um, he will also be going on tour um, with a live show i guess of the of the podcast with um with keith buckley which is going to be absolutely brilliant um and he's also on the salty dog cruise um so that will be amazing as well if you uh if you are across the ponds then check that out or if you have a whole load of cash go check that out i'm sure it is well worth the money and will be a lot of fun so thank you very much for listening again um, it really is appreciated, everybody that, that gives us a like, a follow, a share, um, and just generally spreads the word. I'm going to leave you now to carry on with the rest of your day. Thank you very much for listening, and good night.